So I wasn't even aware you had that rope. Yeah. No, it's pretty... Uh, Why don't you tell him where you got it? It's pretty new. Okay. <laughs> Did I tell you the story? Oh, where I got yeah. It? Remind me, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you hear, Doctor? I did not tell Okay. Story. So... Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. No, Dude, can you turn that heater off? Dude, it's <laughs> off! I don't get it, I'm serious. It's, it's it didn't off. do that all day long. It hasn't been doing this literally all day long. And they're both going. It's like a daggum orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. And they're both completely off. What if... I wonder, because you know how it sounds like someone's underneath you just like banging a hammer on a tin pot or something? That's exactly what it sounds like. I wonder like. if you just fought fire with fire and just started hitting that thing with a hammer. Mm-hmm. Who lives under me? Is it Deacon Clay? Maybe he's doing it. Give me my hammer. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably exactly what it is. Yeah. It's a good idea. It reminds me of my first night in college. So I grew up in a house built in the 50s and we didn't have these old radiators and I never heard that sound. And I go up to college, I'm in the room alone in the dark in the new city. Uh, and this thing starts in the middle of the night. Bang! Bang! <laughs> oh, bang! I thought someone was trying to break in the house. A <laughs> oh, criminal is going to stab me. Like you're not He's on clearly got a hammer <laughs> that has a sharp side. <laughs> I like when it goes off in a church. St. John's at Newman. Didn't they have. Like that, or well, see, when I was going, especially when I was going to daily mass there, that was the that was after the renovation, mm. and so I don't think they did. Dude, I remember a couple times. Yeah. It must have been in that church where mm-hmm. it was winter time, and like during one of the most quiet parts of the mass, it would be like the consecration or something. Everybody's uh. down there trying to be prayerful, and it's like, gang, gang, gang. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, or you could just move down south and you don't have to worry about That's radiators right. harassing you during. Mass during, especially during your podcast, it's like, yeah, who's gonna want to listen to that? Whatever you did seems to fix it. Yeah, well, good for you, Mike. You get the hammer out? Yeah. It's just a mention of the hammer. Yeah, it was just a mention of the hammer. Claim with the turn up down there, he's like, oh god, Mike's coming with that freaking uh, hammer again. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time, Clay, it won't be the last, mm-hmm. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, I did get the sense, though, when you were speaking, you were reading that quote. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, we just gotta drive through this. Yeah. It's just strange that it hasn't happened all day, mm-hmm. and right when we start this podcast, it's like, With like a king, 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 yeah. king, king, and then you're dropping all its bombs. Light bulb analogy is like it's hot. The light bulb yeah. analogy. Yeah. And yeah. the yeah, the radiator slash Satan was like, yeah. hey, hey don't I, don't wanna, I don't want people to hey. hear that stuff. Hey, 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 I'm a radiator. Hey, that stuff. That stuff's liable to make a person open to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, God, I wanted us to know the radiator analogy, too. Because a radiator without heat, without steam, what's the point? Yeah. Oh. And you know what causes that banging? I learned this recently. Father <clears throat> Franklin came and gave a talk to the deacons about, like, building maintenance and stuff. So he's pretty savvy on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it's that, those, so those are steam radiators, mm-hmm. right? I never knew this, except one time they went in the cam room, the cap exploded off it, and there's a couch in front of it, you'll notice. Uh, if you go oh, in there, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I I heard the smoke detector going off. This was like early in the fall. Nobody else was here yet, I don't think. And 
I hear the smoke detector going off, and I'm kind of like, ugh, what a pain. So I walk over to the camera room where it's coming from, <laughs> and there's just, it looks like smoke <laughs> billowing from behind that couch. Yeah, yeah. But what happened was, it, uh, the cap had blown off the radiator, and the couch is in front of it, so just all this steam was just like pouring out behind the couch and getting kind of trapped, and it just, it got the couch super hot. If yeah. I hadn't been here, I don't know. I don't know if steam can start something on fire. It's super hot, but it is wet. Yeah. But anyways, what happens is it condenses in there, and then it gets water, uh, like in the bottom parts, and something happens where it keeps evaporating and then, uh, like condensing again, and it, you know, it's got different, I don't know, the rotary girder. (laughs) (laughs) It clings! And then science comes in. And then science comes in and it covers the end. (laughs) Kind of like how a vacuum cleaner works. Nobody really knows. Uh, but yeah, it does yeah. have something to do with Dude, science. in my house, we would buy, we wouldn't buy vacuums all the time. But we, my mom would always invest in this nice new vacuum, and it would get wrecked mm-hmm. in no time. And then it would just be a broken vacuum, and mm-hmm. it would work in its broken state for the rest of the time. It's like half the vacuum that was made to it's be. It's kind of like once it's broken, yeah. then you kind of handle it with kid gloves. Exactly. But when it's new, it's like, oh, this yeah. thing can handle anything. Yeah. Why did we pay $1,000 for a vacuum cleaner if it wasn't to beat the crud out of it? It was one of the ones that just had the little one ball, and it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, and could operate. How was it again? Oh, yeah. Dude, it just dominated. And then it broke. Actually, interesting story that that just made me think of. The broke, using the broken vacuum and being careful with it. Mm-hmm. Um... So my niece, you, you guys all know this, my niece has a congenital heart condition where, I don't know if you all know this, but anyway, she, she was born with two chambers instead of four chambers. She's five years old now. Oh, really? So, in other words, like your four, whatever, mm-hmm. ventricles and atria, um, they, uh, one is, one pair is just devoted to your brain, basically, like lungs to brain, and the other is lungs to your, the rest of your body. Or something like that. But her part has to do all that work with half of the equipment, basically. Man. And normally babies just die, uh, like a few hours after they're born, when they have this condition. But about 25 years ago now, a doctor kind of invented this surgery that could make it so the heart would be able to. I mean, it's pretty dicey business. She had to be on life support for a while, but anyways, her her life is just her first six months of life was exclusively hospital, much of it on life support. Um, she still can't swallow. Um, so she's got a G-tube, but she's, this is happy kid. Has gone to school since she was three because the government has special early education programs for people who, you know, are going to be behind physically. Right, right, right. And they didn't know about mentally and stuff like that. She had to wear special shoes to help her to walk, but it was just amazing to watch her. She had a little walker when she was like two years old. Cutest girl. Red hair. Big cheeks. Like, Gabrielle's the name, Gabby. The sweet girl, and her brothers and sisters, my, uh, her three older siblings, uh, my niece and my two nephews, and now she's got a little brother, um, took care, took such good care of her. It was so inspiring to see little kids be generous that yeah. way, because they could tell this sister was special, you know, while, you know, the older boys were at each other's throats and punched, you know, throwing karate kicks and stuff. What you know, Gabby was special. She was to be treated like treasure, you know. And um, you guys hate this story as dogs, but 
uh, get the message by anyway. Um, so my brother takes uh, his oldest to the pet store when he was like he's seven years old. And they're looking at the cool fish and birds and whatnot. And then there's these kittens in the front, in the, you know, like in the window. And they're messing around like cats do, foolishly. And um, so there was one cat in there that I guess had some problems and had a leg cut off. Like a back leg. And it was all shaved where they had done the amputation and stuff. So it just looked weird, you know, the kind of animal you look at and you're like, ooh, not only are you a cat, but form. Yeah. And my nephew, I kid you not, uh, he said to my brother, oh, that cat must cost more. My brother was like, what? Why? He goes, oh, because it's special. And it was like, it was because he had this little sister that had oh, the heart condition yeah. that wasn't right <clears throat> physically, but was of even more value than a regular person, yeah, you know? And it was it was cool to see from a kid's perspective how he experienced that, you know, yeah. um, you know the innocence of a child. But he intuitively knew, you know, and it's kind of like God's pre- prefer- pre- preferential option for the poor in the in the Bible, you know, blessed are the poor. That God, it's not like God loves anyone more than He does another person because He loves infinitely every individual person. But He does seem to have a soft spot for the poor, the halt, the lame, the blind. And all that, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. And part of that, I think, is to prepare us. You know, we had a coworker couldn't conceive for years. She was getting to be near forty. Finally, did, you know, the, the allowable fertility treatments for the Catholic faith. Finally, has a pregnancy, and then they find out that the baby has a genetic problem, a chromosomal problem called Prader-Willi syndrome, and the uh, the stories about what children with this syndrome have are really difficult to bear, you know. And I remember a priest said uh, to me when I told them about waiting, waiting for a baby, finally the baby, you know, has this problem. They'll find out why God gave them that child. Yeah. You know, and if they ever have other children, they'll see what that child does for the family. Yeah. And this mom, she took the best care of this child. She was like really orderly. That's why we like working with her. She took care of everything except the queen of Excel spreadsheets and everything. <laughs> she did everything just like that with her child. He's now 10 or 11. And he's way beyond all the predictions that his IQ was supposed to be in, his behavior and all this stuff. And, um, they had the two other kids and they just, they just treat this son beautifully. And it's not just, well, here's this burden, but it's how do I learn to get outside of myself and take care of this oh, person? Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. So my mom was a, a special education teacher out in San Diego when my pops was in the Navy for a number of years. Um, I guess actually only a couple. Um, but so you lived in San Diego? I was born in San Diego. So yeah. you're from California. I'm from California. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm, yeah, that explains kind of the robe, I think. Yeah. Does it explain my sheer amazingness? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I lived in California and San Diego for four years, and then when my father got out of the Navy, he got a job in Georgia. So we moved out uh, out east. But special education. Right, okay, so my mom always said that the parents who treated their children that way as this is my opportunity that God's given me to look outside myself, which is really an invitation to love more, the way that it would transform the family as a whole, as a unit, was absolutely incredible. I think it's so amazing. My father was telling me that 
my family went to the pro-life march in D.C. My entire family went. I guess except for the older people. So my mom and my dad brought nine kids, eight kids, to D.C. to go on this march. And they said they saw a number of Down syndrome children who had signs that said, all of, all of my friends are being aborted. Like, we're not going to exist anymore in, you know, 20, 30 years because you can see based mm -hmm. off of, you know, whatever the test is that they do, I don't know what it's called, amniocentesis, that uh, the baby's going to have Down syndrome. And all, I mean, every, every doctor will say, I don't want to abort this child, you know. But it's so strange, in high school, all of my sports teams, we would help out at this, this program called Miracle League, and the majority of the people in Miracle League were, a lot of them were Down syndrome, and you had a couple of other different disabilities. But they were so happy. Mm -hmm. And the whole argument about yeah, aborting is, is, yeah, how can you have, why would you want someone to enter the world with this low quality of life? Like, really? Have you ever met yeah, anyone with Down syndrome? This may be <laughs> the most happy, angelic person I've mm -hmm. ever met. So my father, actually, is very, very adamant about this. Whenever he meets someone with, like, a severe mental disability, he'll come up and... Not forcibly, but will be very persistent about them learning his name and saying, pray for me. Like, especially with the Catholic organizations, the, the um, kids that have, like, really severe disabilities that are Catholic, said, pray for me. Like, when you, when you die, you're going to go straight to heaven and know my name, Patrick Metz. <laughs> and I'm talking right now to an angel, like yeah, someone who had literally never sinned. You are a direct connection to God right here. You have a, a special place in his heart because of the what we would call disabilities, but this little special gift that God has given you. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm Patrick Metz. And you'll like, <laughs> repeat it. Like, let me, let me make sure that you know, know my name, Patrick Metz, Patrick Metz. So I always try to do that as well. But I think the same can go for the poor and, oh, you know, those on... <clears throat> When I, was in, when I was in Haiti, we worked at the orphanage with the missionaries of charity, and we got to, one of the days, we just, they were like, okay, just <clears throat> fill in, play with the kids, etc. And so it ranged, I think the oldest kids there seemed like they were maybe seven or eight, so it wasn't that old. But I went into the, um, the really little kid's room, and there was this little girl, Jessie, there, and I think she was nine months old. And honestly, she was the size of my nephew when he was probably like two or three months. So she's very sick. You could tell it when you, you held her that she's a very, very sick little girl. And uh, anyway, long story short, she had a huge impact on me and just the, what spiritual fatherhood could mean. But also that same thing of just a very real experience that she is, whether it's very soon or she ends up getting better and lives a, a full life, like, she will be in heaven, and it will be, like, I will be thanking her for getting me there, and, yeah. and probably yeah. not vice versa. Yeah. That's a, that's a big reality check for me. It's that power of the, the baptized soul. Like, the devil, I, I always heard, the devil is so terrified of even one baptized infant, because it's the life of Christ living truly present, the Holy Spirit truly right. present inside this little tiny baby, you know? But that's, well, that's why like Christmas, man, every year Christmas is the mystery that gets me, you know? I mean, Easter, Holy Week, I've had my share of sort of graces on those feast days. But yeah. 
Christmas, it's like every year. There's some about the, the magic of the season, too, obviously. The, the first snows and the lights and the windows and all that. But God as a, ba- a baby, that's that's as crazy as it gets. Like, no one would have expected that before, <laughs> before the Incarnation. Who was looking out for God to come be born out in the cold? Yeah. To a poor Jewish mother, you know. All the Greek gods are like living on mountains, like farting thunder and grabbing <laughs> 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 lightning. They were raping the women and yeah, you know, was, seducing them. It was like what people thought was the way you exhibited power over people, you know. And God upended every single. I mean, the crucifixion yeah. is the culmination of that. But yeah. even the way He starts His life on Earth is helpless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see the Byzantine icons of the Nativity. They often show Jesus born in the cave. People talk about the stable in the mm-hmm. cave. Maybe you saw this in the Holy Land. Oh, yeah. They put these fences in front of the cave so that the, you know, the animals can go in in the bad weather and then they can come out in the nice weather. So it's, it's both a cave and a stable. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cave on the icon is shown as the black, black, blackest paint. It's the darkest mm-hmm. place on earth. So it's the light coming into the darkness and then being surrounded by the beasts, basically. The, oh, yeah. You know, the, the fallen humanity and sort of a beastly thing that we can revert to. And then the light comes to that darkest place. To lead us back to the world. A beautiful image. Mm-hmm. We think Christmas is presents and something in our world. Little baby nativity scenes, but it's, it's really serious business. Right? Yeah. I uh, preached on that during uh, the last Sunday of Advent. Uh, that basically, like, I kind of recalled how last year at that time was the Newtown shooting. You know, the, all those kids died and the, the crazy guy yeah. came to the school. Yeah, yeah. Man, that was a year ago. Yeah. Okay. Oh, look. So it was about that time, like late December, mid-December, <laughs> that that happened. And I remembered how they interviewed some of the people, uh, like parents of the children who died. And they were saying, at least one couple said, I don't know how we're going to celebrate Christmas at a time like this. And I said, you know, obviously we can't, we cannot imagine the the tragedy. It's It's beyond our ability to to sympathize, so we can't pretend like, oh, we understand their pain. But at the same time, we can say that, you know, to forego celebrating Christmas because of a tragedy due to violence and sin is a bit like saying, let's not have D-Day because the Nazis bombed London. Let's you not know, take the medicine because I feel too sick. Yeah, I mean, the, <clears throat> Christmas, properly understood, is the antidote to all that darkness. Yeah. Man. If you can't see... Christ being born into wherever you're at, particularly when it's somewhere real dark like yeah. that, then uh, it's got no point. It's not like Christ came into the perfectly ordered, cleaned up house with a good family that's got no animosity right, right. towards one another and nobody's an alcoholic. And you know, no, it's the all the garbage that goes on at your family Christmas. Christ wants to be born right into that. Right. You know? That's what he wants. Yeah. That's where he wants to be. And dude, I know that because. You guys have seen my room, and it's ugly state. <laughs> he came in there, though. <laughs> he did. Oh, he for Christ to come in there. <laughs> I've, I've thought about that often, how, you know, I tend to be a messier guy. And so my room, uh, historically, it, actually, when I had a roommate, <laughs> actually, when I had a roommate in college, I kept it cleaner because I felt like there was a responsibility yeah, yeah. to the other guy. Yeah. But when I've had my own room, it's been pretty much of an unmitigated travesty. Yeah. 
<laughs> perseverance now, man. You got it clean. You're busy yeah. with the higher things. You can't be bothered picking up. But every once in a while, you feel drowned in your own stuff, you know, or obligations and things. And like I just need to get it all together before I can go pray or be right, you know. But that's exactly the opposite of what God wants. He's like, I mean, I see you in your mess. Yeah. And I'm here with you. Yeah. You know, it's a minor thing, but yeah. It I had an instance today, and I was actually thinking about this very point. So we had that presentation last night and uh, for our Peru mission trip, mm-hmm. and we had a bunch of extra food, and I was in the Theo rec hall for everyone to go by and snack some food. And so I was cleaning up from there, and for some reason I didn't turn on the lights, and it was getting kind of dark, so I couldn't really see what I was doing, and I was dumping out all the trays into the trash and had to tear off this uh, the cellophane wrap, and I could not see what I was doing. But I was adamant that I wasn't going to turn on the lights until I finished the activity that I was doing. Yeah. I can't see, but like, I don't want to go turn on the lights until I'm done with this. That's such a dude thing, like, man. I'm only making I need one trip. to finish this, you know? Like, how many times do we do that? It's like, I don't want Christ, but it's totally the human thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's, I want to give you the best. I want to, that, and that's totally natural, and it, it makes sense. But, yeah, the best is good, but it's, I mean, honestly, nothing compared to Christ. He appreciates it. Mm-hmm. He's there for the worst. Like, that's what he wants. When you can't see, that's where he wants to be. He wants to flip on the light. He wants to flip on the light. I'm like, Dad, I'm not done here. Come on. <laughs> well, that's a great allegory, too, because, you know, when we do try to lift ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, like, okay, I'll get everything ready before I'm ready to have God come in and bless me yeah, or yeah. whatever. Um, I'll make the plans. I'll execute the plan. But, but your plans, your own plans stink, dude. You're lame. I, you know, if I, I think to back before priestly vocation ever entered my mind, you know, before I took discipleship seriously, you know, I had plans or like an idea of what I might want to do with my life. What did you want to do, Connor? Well, I mean, what I pursued was uh, biochemistry, so that was my best subject in high school, chemistry, and then didn't want to be a chemist or a chemical engineer, which were a couple of the options, so biochemistry seemed like a more wide field. It was like one of those ways of looking at life, you know, like, well, I'm good at this, and I, you know, can tolerate this, and whatever, and I kind of see what happens, you know. Yeah. When it came to marriage, you know, like, <clears throat> yeah, I'll marry one of these girls I date, or whatever. You know, it wasn't like, like, God had a very specific plan for me, that I think the way that we work it now, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? The first thing I said was an astronaut when I was in first grade. But, you know, they started asking that question super early. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. And no kid ever says whatever God wills. Yeah. Yeah. Why doesn't Catholic school say, what does God want you to be when you grow up? Why don't you pray and find out? Because that doesn't make sense to a, a first grader. Yeah, but you can get them thinking that way, you know. Um, that God has a plan for your life, and you don't know it yet, yeah. but it's going to unfold as you grow. It's going to be awesome. And it's going to be incredible, mm-hmm. whatever you're called to. But, uh, like, what job do you want to have? I mean, what kid knows the answer to that? That's why I said astronaut. I don't know. What do I want to be when I grow up? A dinosaur. I really like dinosaurs. <laughs> I'd like to be a brachiosaurus. <laughs> you know, a kid doesn't have any categories to make that decision yeah. either. But, um, yeah, so my life has been completely upended by Christ, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. I've come to realize that even the most brilliant adults are kind of like three-year-olds, or with their parents. 
before God, they're like three-year-olds. Yeah. Because they think they know what they want. Like every kid who says, I'm not tired, I'm not tired. They're obviously tired. And the parents are like, let me put you to bed. No, I'm not tired. And they don't know what they want. Yeah. And, and if, a parent, like if a child ran away from his father and said, oh, I've been bad, I'm going to go run and hide. And when I fix myself, then I'll come ask you to you know, put the bandage on my knee. You say, what kind of kid is that? What kind of father? Yeah, you know? yeah. They can't trust their own father. Yeah. And yeah, we we get stuck in sin. We say, oh well, we're gonna have to fix ourselves, or or I committed this sin and caused this shame. I better go run and run and hide. Yeah, it's crazy. Classic Genesis story there. Yeah, and, you know the biblical notion: if the human father can do this, how much more could God? Do? If the human father can say, hey, come here, let me sit on my lap and let me put a bandage on your knee, how much more would God say? Yeah, I don't care what sin you do, just come, let me fix you. Yeah. Is that you can just see the baby running around with the diaper, and the dad's like, I need to change your diaper. And he's like, No, he's like, you're developing a really bad rash. Just come here. But I need my freedom. Look, let me change it. I'll be there. <laughs> no, you have poop strapped to yourself. <laughs> That's not good, man. You have poop strapped to yourself. <laughs> Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisque, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Down.